Hey Queer Steak, welcome back, and please ignore the background noise, if you can hear it. If you can't hear it, awesome, but I'm pretty sure you can. Anyway, today's episode is really long, uh, and today's speaker, Garrett, a gay man who married a woman, uh, recorded his own intro, so let's just go straight to that. Gay to that. That's a really bad joke. I'm in a bit of a disadvantage in that my story is almost exactly with the traditional LDS viewpoint as it's been for the last couple decades of what should be done as a gay person in the church. I know nowadays, in the last five years, they're saying, no, this is not a prescription for everyone. But for a long time, it's been this way. And I, I would feel sad if I thought that someone listening to this podcast were to isolate my story and say, there, that's the right way to be Mormon and gay. I would not want someone to view it that way because, honestly, it feels like it's been handed to me as a, as a freebie. I don't know what went into it and what goes into it and why I've been able to have what I have, and I don't know what it will look like in the future. So I don't want to present it as this is the way to do things as a gay man or a woman. Or it is a way. It is my way. What, it, what I don't mind it being is if someone wants what I want and they're able to do it, I would like to be a light at the end of the tunnel for them in those circumstances. Different places I've interviewed people. Closet. The very Yeah, closet, very first episode. Um, back in October, um, I made a blanket fort with one of my friends. Blanket fort? Yeah, that one was fun. That sounds pretty fun. Hey, this, uh, this is Mika. I'm Garrett. And we're here to talk to you. Or really more, you're here to talk to me. Tell me all stories. Of, yeah, I can do all those things. Will you feel prepared? No, I don't know what I'm going to say, and I don't know, I don't know how much, how much uh, use it's going to be to anyone. But uh, I'm happy to try. Oh, thank you. It's a very positive outlook. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Public speaking rookie mistake. <laughs> lower everyone's expectations I wouldn't say it's public speaking per se you're just speaking to me <laughs> that's true I'll think of it that way and I'll help alright so here we are um, so you're you're newly married yes I have been married for two months two months just shy of two months okay and you have three stepchildren mm-hmm. um, how old are they one three and five okay uh, so you've known how long have you known your wife for We've known each other for 10 years. Okay, and you met at BYUI? Yep, we both went to BYU-Idaho um, for our freshman year, so I met her that first semester. And we were pretty good friends the first semester, and then we were really good friends the second semester. And she's mentioned that she had a crush on me, and she would have been willing to go on a date. But I was a little bit of a rough-edged kid back then. I kind of did every bad thing I could think of doing in high school and was just barely coming off of that and my freshman year of college so she was a little bit she had some reservations but yeah I wasn't romantically interested in her um, partially due to my homosexuality and also due to even within the realm of girls she wasn't really the type that I usually kind of persuaded myself to date it was a very platonic friendship although she did have a crush on me 
but she was never she never pushed it because when a girl pushed it, I could sense it, and I would back off real quick, and so we stayed friends the whole ten years up into our marriage. I even I was friends with her husband. He and I got along really well. Yeah, so now oh, we're now me. we're married. And the disclaimer is just this is my personal heartfelt experience, but I understand if there's skepticism or if it doesn't line up with how other people view spirituality. But I'm just going to share how I felt about the situation and what was going on for my uh, internal and external environment. She and I had been friends for, you know, since 2008. And for most of that 10 years, we were just, with the exception of that first, those first two semesters, we were pretty close. Then I left for my mission and she stayed and we wrote. And then at one point, she she kind of hid it from me. Later I found out it was because she was embarrassed, but I don't know quite why she's embarrassed or was embarrassed. But she got to know someone and got pretty serious with them. And she got married and told me about it after she got married through, le- through uh, a letter while I was in Honduras. And I was just so happy for her because I wanted her to be happy and I had no romantic interest in her, so there wasn't any competing interest, but I just was really happy for her and wrote her back and told her that was great weird that you didn't tell me until you were already married, but all right. Um, she sent me pa- like care packages. She just was a genuine good friend. She is, uh, this is, this comes off so poorly, but you know, you're, if you have a good mother, they like you, they think you're wonderful and, and so talented and amazing, regardless of your low opinion of yourself. And you're just, I personally, by my own mother, I was constantly surprised by why she thought so highly of me but she consistently did. And it's not in a creepy way, not in like a stalker way, because it's her mom. So it's in a very, it can be pretty healing. Um, And it's just the trademark of, of a, I guess, in my opinion, a good mother. Chris always viewed me that way, Christine. She always thought so highly of me. I did not know why, but it was never in a way where I thought she was trying to, she didn't have any ulterior motives. So I appreciated that. And because of that, despite the fact that it was difficult for me to want to maintain a friendship with a, you know, first of all, with a female, there's there's no attraction there, and also with a married female, so I can't even, there isn't even the, the prospect of me being able to to fulfill my, you know, what what is a major part of my religious and personal beliefs, and that's starting a family. Neither of those two were in play, so it was kind of hard for me to keep the friendship up. I was a little bit more distant. She'd call every six months, or, he, you know, he'd call, and I'd call them back, and talk to him when they were in town but our friendship kind of turned more of into we both know we're, we're there for each other and we're friends but I'm terrible at keeping in contact even with my family members so and she understood she was never pushy over that but our friendship was pretty strong in the first two semesters and then over the next almost decade it kind of turned into more of a a consistent but very low low interaction you know twice a month or twice a that's pretty high interaction for me. Twice a year, phone call, and seeing her and her husband occasionally. And then, at one point, she called me, and she's a very guarded person, so most of our conversations were pretty surface level, and she hides her emotions behind a facade of kind of, kind of she sounds kind of like a little bit airheaded when she's going to kill me because she's going to hear this, I shouldn't have said that, but she has kind <laughs> of like this light, airy voice, and so she conceals all of her true feelings behind that light, airy voice. But then once you dig out, dig out all the 
you know, all the juicy stuff, and you start to really know who she is. So then she called, and things got real on that phone call. It was um, over a year ago. She called, and she said, things are not going well with my marriage, and I don't know what to do, and I think I'm going to have to get a divorce. And I was very surprised because I wasn't a fan of the way that he treated her, but I thought, you know, they'll work it out. Because I've got so many married friends that start off on the rocks and then they, they do fine. And so many that do fine and then get onto the rocks later on. So it's such a such a fluid situation with two distinct people interacting with each other that I just didn't make any judgments and I thought they'll work it out. But apparently there was some very, very unhealthy things going on. And I'm going to try to keep this very impartial um, obviously I've chosen a side and, and married that side, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I know that there's always two sides to a story and I've been on the, I've been in the situation where someone took someone else's side and it was very hurtful to me and I don't want to do that. So some very painful things were going on and I would imagine they were painful for both parties involved, but the part that I was exposed to was how painful it was for my now wife, then friend Christine. So I had been looking for a wife for, you know, since I got home from my LDS mission in, in 2011, and this was 2017, so it had been six years, but Christine never, never came into my mind, and I had dated a lot of girls, and I figured out some things I do and don't like, I've gone through the horrible feelings of terror of wondering if I could ever make it work with a woman. And I've gone through some times where I thought, you know, maybe I could make this work. A lot of both. Mainly the first one, unfortunately. And finally, something weird happened on that phone call. She started to describe what she wanted out of her life and her kind of overarching goals and how they weren't being met by her current relationship in very significant ways. And something kind of clicked. It was a very weird experience. I remember specifically, she's like, I, I just, I want to be able to change the paint color of my house, maybe every five years, if I want to, and I am not allowed to do that, and that's such a minor thing, I mean, for all I know, in five years, I'll be like, no, Christine, you're not changing the paint color, (laughs) (laughs) who knows, I I would never do that, I I hope I would never do that, but um, for some reason, what she said, it communicated a lot more to me than just a, a simple statement about paint colors, she said a lot of other very deep Uh, deep, deep meaning things to me personally about what, like, spiritual progression as a couple and and helping each other be accountable for goals. But then that paint thing, I I like change and I like light forward motion and that's what she's all about. And as soon as she started saying she can't change her paint color and she wants to be able to, I was like, I know what you mean. And this is the kind of girl that I want to marry. That thought came before I could stop it. And then the second thought was, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to marry A, a girl, and B, a girl that I've never found even within my realm of, of like, what I usually go for? Which I usually kind of went for ice queens. <laughs> Why? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Ambitious, pushing hard towards a really intense and robust career. And I, I mean, that's, that's fine. And actually, Christine is, turns out to be that, but not on the surface. And so that I had that thought, and then the other competing thought of how am I going to make this work with a girl, let alone Christine? Because honestly, I had no romantic interest. 
and she didn't either. Honestly, she, we've even talked about this since she was married and she had no inkling that someday we would have a romantic relationship. She, all she said is I knew I needed to keep you in my life as a friend. And so I always did on that conversation, something switched inside of me to where I thought this is someone, this is the kind of person I want to marry. What do I do? She's, this is like homewrecker stuff. Like I've got to hang up this phone call right now before I get in myself into a, a really, a really destructive situation that I probably can't even pull off as a, as a gay guy. Like you wreck a home and then you find out you're not <laughs> like, I would never even start that process, which is why I was feeling all these things. So I told her, Christine, I don't know if we should be having this conversation because I am now not just the friend of both of you, but I am now the other guy because you've confided things about a divorce plans for divorce. And I don't know what I would say to next time we talk. I don't think I'm the right person to support you in this situation. And she just stopped talking and I could hear her sobbing in the background. And I said, wait a minute. Um, I must, that must've been the wrong thing and the wrong way to say it, which is the story of my life. But we're going to circle back to that. (laughs) She said, it's okay. I, you're right. I'm so sorry to put you in this situation. I said, well, what about family? Do you have family or other friends? And she's like, I don't know why I've got a, her family situation is a little bit tricky, um, pretty limited. She's got some great family, but they're few and far between. They've got they've got a lot of their own struggles, and she doesn't like burdening people. She said, "You're you're kind of my only friend." And I said, "How?" And she said, "Well, we've never had any money, and we always have had kids, and we've never had a babysitter. I've never really been able to leave the house on my own very often, and I, we've never stayed in a place long enough for me to make friends in my ward." in my church congregation, in case we have non-LDS listeners. And she said, I just, you're pretty much all I've got. And I had never known that. I always wondered why she was so diligent with keeping up with me. And I'm not saying it's because she was desperate and had no other friends, but I didn't realize what role I played in her life. And that hit me pretty hard. And so I said, all right, I'm going to need to think about this. She's like, no, you're right. I shouldn't have done this. I'm so sorry. But she was crying the whole time, and I'm a sucker when girls cry. So I said, hold on, let me let me think and pray, and we'll, I'll get back to you. So I hung up immediately scheduled an interview with with my um, church leader, my bishop. And I told him the whole situation, how I felt. And he knew I was gay. I always confided that in my church leaders. And that has been instrumental, absolutely essential in in a lot of things that I had to heal from, from the turmoil that comes from growing up with with same gender feelings. I told him the whole situation and he, he paused and he said, nope, you need to be there for her. She needs you. You keep those phone calls going, keep it limited, keep it platonic and light, but you support her through what she needs support through, and do not mention anything romantic, and I said, I know, I'm the first person to admit that that is an absolute necessity in this situation. We were both on the same page that this need to stay very, like, hardcore friend zone, the girl, while while supporting her. <laughs> Turned out it wasn't really necessary, she didn't really, she never really read into anything, and I, we kept talking over months and months, and then I started to fall in love with her. Not in a physical way, but in a way I'd never really had before because I don't, I make friends, but I usually kind of keep a little bit of distance. And with her, she was the first person I wanted to call. I don't like talking on the phone. And with her, all of a sudden, I wanted to call her when anything went well or poorly. I tried not to because I was trying to keep it very light since she was obviously still married and I didn't want to 
it just felt wrong to, to call her. I, so I let her call me most of the time, but then I would tell her what was going on in my life. I kept checking with my bishop. I'm like, look, look, bishop, I am falling kind of in love with this girl. And he's like, that is your business, and you're not acting on anything, and she needs support, and he, he's not giving it to her. So according to my interpretation of the situation and my bishop's interpretation, which is, of course, subject to my interpretation. So we kept connecting in that way, and I didn't think the divorce would ever go through. So I never actually viewed her as a long-term situation for me. And I also thought, I'm not attracted to her. That's not fair to either of us. But she actually pulled it off, got divorced, and then she was coming up one week and to Salt Lake, which is close to where I live. And she said, hey, if you want to go to the Family History Center with me and um, help me with some family history I'm doing, I, I can't find certain people from my Australian relatives and online. And my family was coming up that weekend. So we ended up meeting up with them and her. And I told her it's probably most appropriate that we hang out in a group. Even though we have no interest in each other, it's not going to look good to people and your ex-husband if you're already hanging out with a guy a couple weeks after you get divorced, so let's keep it with my family, too. We had a great time. They loved her. And by this time, I already told them that I was falling in love with a married girl <laughs> over the phone. And they were just like, man, that's awesome. And they didn't know I was gay at this point. They interacted all. I, that was a complicated weekend for me because, first of all, she shows up, and it reminds me how much I care about her as a friend and also how I'm not attracted to her and how gay I am. <laughs> And so that was a difficult weekend. It was very split, and I felt split in two directions. But so had you... So you hadn't come out to her before this point? I had, actually. Okay. I, I came out to her... A, I came out to her before the divorce, because we were starting to connect over the phone. We were talking, I mean, once a week at least. Maybe twice, once in a while, but... And I started to to feel like I've I've got to do something so she doesn't think I'm trying to get her. So I decided to tell her I was gay a couple months in, and she's, there's two people that I've told that have guessed or known. She knew and guessed, and my mother. And I just thought it was funny that those two people were like, oh yeah, of course you are. And I was like, what? And you didn't bring this up earlier? Like, I could have used a little bit of support <laughs> earlier on, but my mom was like, you wanted me to confront you with that before you were ready? And I was like, yeah, maybe you're right. I might have denied it, like, vehemently. Like I've done for 28 years. I mean, I guess I didn't really have to deny it when I was a baby. but <laughs> <laughs> So I, she, had, she knew by this point, and I used it to friends on her even further. And she said it worked beautifully. She said I was kind of starting to have wonders, like wondering if, if maybe after I got divorced that we would date. And then you told me you were gay, and I was like, well, put a bullet in that one. So I, we were both glad for that, to make the situation not so, just not as, as weird as it could have been. Anyway, she came up. I was struggling with all those feelings. Everyone could tell I was a little on edge, but still enjoying her presence a lot. Anyway, long story short, I told my parents about it. They're like, they're like, look, you might just need to take a risk and try things. And they still did not know that I was gay by by this point. I didn't tell my parents until under a year ago. So we hung out that weekend. She went home. I thought things through a lot, and she was divorced. We were basically we'd already been friends for a, a decade, and I just thought I'm just gonna. I know there's kids involved. I'm not, I'm not going to meet them yet. I'd already met them casually as friends, obviously, but I'm not going to you know, get into their lives yet. But I just want to see if dating Christine works because I've been working at this without success for so long, and she feels so different. I've never felt this way about anyone where I just desperately want to be on the phone with them all the time. That is so weird for me. I've been engaged, and I did not want to be on the phone with her. So 
I called her a couple days later and I was like, I know we've been on basically zero dates and you got divorced a couple weeks ago, but, um, I think we should try dating. And she said, yes. And we dated and I will shorten this part, but it was a very long and, and, and it felt like a very long and difficult process because the first kiss was honestly like kissing. I mean, it felt not the way I wanted a kiss to feel. It felt like kissing a cousin, which I've never done, but it's what I would imagine it felt like um, because we were so hardcore friend-zoned and there was no romantic interest on my end, just kind of a deep love as a friend. And so I was very discouraged by that and it led to some dark times and some discussions between us about my homosexuality and how things would work out and end up. And She made it very clear to me a couple months in that after we started talking more seriously... She said, I'm willing to marry a gay man, even if sometimes you don't even want to hold my hand because you're not, you're just, I don't grossed out by me or whatever. And I, that was very touching to me, but also very terrifying because I thought, I don't want to be, I don't want to do that to them, just to, to my wife or to myself. And this just sounds kind of miserable, but I kept, I stuck with it and slowly started to develop an actual attraction to her. And I'd had that before, but it wasn't this strong. It was an attraction, an, an actual sexual attraction that was mixed with a, a love for her. And it, it was very different than I'd ever felt with my infatuations with my males, my male roommates or occasional, uh, an occasional male that would come into my life that I would kind of fall in love with as a friend, but never tell and hold it in like a dark secret. And it was even different from that. It was less sexual, but more meaningful in my opinion. And it started to kind of give me hope that things would work out. To be honest, I had already decided to marry her kind of months before we even dated. I just, in my head, I was like, I'm probably going to marry this girl. I don't know why I had decided that, but it just, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it came from God or maybe it came from me and turned out to be right. I felt that way. So the decision in my head was always kind of made. What I was struggling with was, can this work? And I know that decision sounds exceptionally naive, but... I am an exceptionally naive person, so it matches up nicely. <laughs> and I went with it, and it sh- our relationship started to change in a way that I thought was impossible. I'm grateful for my previous re- relationship. We weren't officially engaged. I had a... I won't go into too much detail. We were... So- let's call it soft engagement. We had talked about it in a date. We just hadn't made it public. But that relationship had taught me that I can kind of be sexually attracted to a woman, um, but not much. And then this was kind of reinforcing that it was possible and to a greater degree than I had imagined. There were still setbacks. Our dating was very difficult because there was always three children involved. Well, we actually, the first couple months of our dating, there were not ever children involved in order to not mess with them emotionally and psychologically. But once things got more serious and we decided to introduce me to them and start me being kind of a a figure in their lives of some sort, then our dating life was able to be a lot more, it was less limited because I didn't have to only hang out with her when the kids weren't there and then stay with friends or whatever when they weren't. And and I was always staying somewhere else in long distance relationship. But anyway, once I was able to interact with the kids, it got a beautiful aspect to it because I started to kind of fall in love with those kids in a way that I felt like their older brother. I was able to spend more time with all of them, but it was difficult because we had very little personal time and it was it was like babysitting dates our whole our whole relationship 
so there were setbacks, but I remember one time in particular, I'd already kind of gotten into where I was feeling good about things, but the physical attraction was just not up to what I was wanting. And it was causing me a lot of emotional turmoil. And so I told her and she did not, she wasn't too happy about it. She was so supportive, but she just, she was worried about why I was focusing on it so much. So I was one day on my way to her house to hang, to hang out for that weekend with her and the children. And I was praying and I said, God, I've been through, I've been through a lot. And I've been through times where I was mildly suicidal because of the situation and others. I have been looking for a woman trying to do what's right for a long time. What's right is according to my personal beliefs. And I, I'm still, we're still having so much trouble feeling okay about this. I want to be happy. And this is a very stressful situation. There's an ex-husband, there's three children. I am on, on the fence about being attracted or not. And I was already by that time, I'd already gotten used to the fact that I was kind of attracted to her. And so I was already ungrateful for that little, you know, help and kind of worried about the bigger picture of attraction and, and how it would last. And I remember telling him like, just throw me a bone. I don't ask for this very often, but just throw me a bone. This is, this is too hard. I'm not, I'm getting back into a dark spot. And I got to her house and I came in and there she was in the kitchen making dinner or something. And I just felt different. And I thought, oh, I love you even more. And you're beautiful. And from then on, there was, there are still were and still are an ebb and flow of our relationship in, in, you know, how well we connect in our attraction. But it feels like the normal ebb and flow that any couple experiences, straight or gay, straight or mixed gender. No, not mixed gender. That's mixed orientation. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> and mixed gender. <laughs> but um, from that moment, things kind of shifted and my fears dissipated to some degree. And it was beautiful. It was a very meaningful experience for me. And that's one of the many times in my life that I feel like when I'm about to just not be able to handle the complexity and difficulty of my internal commotion. Um, that's a fancy way of saying being miserable. I guess I should just, I should just say it how it is. But when I get so miserable, I can't take it anymore. I, I get pulled out. And that's a big part of my relationship with God. He really does let you get down there, though, pretty pretty deep into it. That's another, a whole, a whole different topic, but he pulls me out. And so from then on, we got married, and it's felt natural. I mean, it's only been two months. I don't know what, I don't know the true depth and breadth of being an insta-dad of three children with an ex-husband involved and mixed orientation marriage with a woman as a gay man. I don't know what that entails in the future. But as for right now, it feels natural and it's happier than I've ever been. It comes with its very unique and complex set of difficulties, but I was very prepared for a, a extremely intensely difficult situation um, with all of those complex factors involved. And it turned out it, it hasn't been that bad. And I know it's been two months. I, I don't know what, what things will be, but it has not been as bad as I thought in all of those different ways. And in other ways, it's been absolutely amazing. I don't know, she just, she's my best friend. I'm physically attracted to her. It's a little different than kind of that hot, intense passion of physical attraction that I have for men. But it's kind of what I see in married couples that have been married for longer. I know that sounds pretentious, but 
it is how I observe my friends and parents and people who have been married for a while and that honeymoon phase has kind of burned itself out. Mm-hmm. The the way it was described to me, like when you start off, it's this huge bonfire, but then over the years, like it kind of burns out, but then you're left with the coals, which are still just as hot, but it's not... Yeah, they're not showy. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not this boiling heat that you have to stand back from like I felt physical attraction to men before. It's, yeah, it's like the coals. That's a perfect analogy. And it feels it feels very sustainable and, and healthy. And that's when I kind of started to realize maybe I'm not at a disadvantage being a gay man married to a woman. I, I don't know. It's still, we're still figuring things out. I know there's a couple on a blog that has, for years, it was talking about how it, it worked for them to be married mixed orientation and, and strong in the church and, and then they've recently come out and said it doesn't work and I'm not saying that I'm immune to that um, but f- as far as what I believe strongly and, and what's going on right now is that for me personally and for Christine and for my my three wonderful little monsters <laughs> that you can probably hear in the background we're going to do whatever it takes to make it work and I know not everyone has that that privilege or or blessing or whatever. I, everyone's on a different spectrum. I mean, just to say it just bluntly, how gay you really are, and I don't know how gay I am. I know I'm very, very attracted to men, physically, and but that women women don't gross me out. Um, it's neutral. I kissed girls all throughout high school. It was a social practice, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't unpleasant. And sometimes it was even it was fun, and I would even kind of feel aroused by it. Not very, but. Anyway, that's who, that's where I'm at, and no one really understands this scale or, or you know what what is sexual attraction, how does it develop and change, and I know it's fluid and it's less fluid in ways that you might want it to be, and more fluid in ways that you don't and want it to be. But that's been my experience, and I don't really know what else to say on that other than everyone's experience is so different with this struggle, but that's 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 who I am and where where I've come from and where I am currently and I don't know how the future looks but you know typical pessimist I've got some probably pretty I've got some pretty nasty things I'm sometimes that I worry about but at the end of the day I look and I'm like you know what God's pulled me out before of these situations and I know he'll pull me out of them as they arise so the very first thing I said I wanted to come back to, I wish I could remember. Um, Always saying the wrong thing. Yes. Tell me, tell me more about that. I'm tactless, overly blunt, and get myself into very uniquely uncomfortable social situations on a regular basis. <laughs> um, I've gone back and forth between being way too open and way too closed off, and I'm finding a middle ground. I also have had and have vulnerability issues. So I, I, always, I always hang out in the extremes. That's another part of my personality. So um, I say too much. I'm usually in the say too much category now that I've had enough therapy to realize the benefits of vulnerability. But I also have realized the disadvantages of over-vulnerability and complete open book to people around you. And that is about as succinct as I know how to be on that situation. Um, so jumping off of the vulnerability, it hasn't quite been a year since you've been out to your family. Yeah, it has not been a year. It's been maybe six months. Uh, so what 
made you decide to come out to them? Like, why, why did it take so long? That is a very interesting process. I locked this down so tight for my entire life. I've known I was had something in me that made me like men physically and not as much women since I was very young. I mean, my first conscious physical thought was towards males. And I, I'd like to say that I was before I was eight years old that I was feeling, you know, I'm, I was even pretty self-aware of it then. I kind of thought, I think I have that thing that people talk about where you <laughs> like men instead of women. I, I knew for <laughs> sure when I was eight. Really? When um, Batman and Robin came out and Chris O'Donnell was Robin, I guess was my first big screen crush. And I remember this at eight. And then for the next three, <coughs> the next Sorry. three Halloweens, um, well, every other boy dressed up as Batman, I dressed up as Robin. That's hilarious. Yeah. That is funny. Yeah, I then I guess it's it's not an uncommon thing to know from that age, but yeah, from that age I knew, and I probably would have even been able to assign a word to. It. I probably would have said, "Yeah, I'm a little a little gay kid," but I had I had I swear I had a split personality, um, not to the Smeagol extent, but there was the part of me that knew that I was, and then the other part that stuffed that down so thoroughly, and was so. I had I hated it. I, I loathed it. And that was such a tricky way to grow up. I had wonderful parents. and I mean, we fought like cats and dogs as siblings, so I, mean, I didn't really have a support group in my siblings. Now they're wonderful. But my parents were just wonderful parents. But I still was a mess because I hated myself. And growing up with that was very difficult. And I remember, I, I, I guess the best analogy I can think of is with the split personalities. Like there was one of me that was very confident and and loved who I was, and then the other part just absolutely despised who I was, and, and I wasn't always aware of both. Sometimes I would, it would hit me, especially later on in life, and it still hits me, like, you're a, you're a gay man, you're attracted to men, and, and you're, not only that, you're married to a woman, and that hits me once in a while, I'm like, wow, I just, I need to really integrate that more into my consciousness, so not to dwell on it, and use it as an identifying factor, although I strongly would like to argue that it is a large part of my identity. Um, but I would like to integrate it more because I don't want, I want that split personality feeling to go away where I don't all of a sudden come to consciousness that I'm gay. I want it to be, I'm gay and I like myself and I've come a a long way in that. And part of that has been telling people, but anyway, growing up that way, I felt very lonely. Um, males, I always felt guilty because I liked a lot of my friends in a more than friendship way. Um, but I felt like if they knew they would hate me or, or abandon me. So I always felt distance from my male friends and I felt distance and and this weird feeling that I was betraying them. And, and then females, I've never really been that interested in having females as friends or, and, and dating them has always been pretty social and and so I didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere. And I didn't get along with other gay people as much because they usually had a lot of the ones that I interacted with growing up in middle school, high school, and college had a lot of female friends, and I didn't relate to females. I didn't know what to talk to them about. I wasn't interested in them. And I, know, I was too blunt. I offended a lot of people. So anyway, I felt like I didn't belong. And I know you asked the question of why did I decide to tell my, fam- my family, but since we've already established that I ramble, I guess we'll just roll with it. It's getting there. <laughs> years and years of therapy and meeting with my ecclesiastical, my church leaders 
finally helped me realize that it's okay to love myself and they they loved me and they thought I was cool and ther- I just can't stress enough how helpful therapy self-awareness like dealing with the issue number one number two therapy getting professional help and I would say if you want to stay a member of the church you need to get therapy from a member of the church because they understand the context from both the psychological professional side and the other side that means a lot to you and those are both very essential to stay a member of the church if that's what you want and that has helped immensely and meeting with my bishops I always told them about the situation so I was at least out to my church leaders my mission president oh he did not know <laughs> just realized that but my stake president who sent me out on my mission he knew and anyway that has been instrumental I remember a couple years ago talking to my therapist and one of my good friends who was also gay who'd come out to his family and that was the last thing I thought I would ever want to do to friends or family. I came out to one guy in high school, uh, post high school. We'd been friends all throughout high school and he came out in high school at some point in my freshman year of college, I guess I we had some late night conversation and I told him, he's like, yeah, that makes sense. And then that little punk went and told all of my high school friends. And honestly, I thought it was going to be the end of the world because I had that so locked down. Okay, I would rather probably have been, I don't know what I would rather have done. I don't want to be melodramatic, but there there was a lot of things I would have rather had happen to me than any person find out that I was friends with, that I was gay. Parents, close friends, siblings, I did not want anyone to know. I wanted to take that to my grave. And he told a bunch of high school friends, and one of them came back to me. And she was like, yeah, Ben said you were gay, but then we all know that you like date girls and stuff. So that was dumb. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess that's fine. <laughs> That was such a dick move on his part. You don't do that. And he's a... I don't know what he's doing these days. I don't particularly... I don't hold any hard feelings against him, but yeah, he... That was a really... That was a giant turd thing to do. But, um... You know what? Who's not a giant turd when they're 18? So... That's that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how it happened, and... That was my first experience and last for a very long time about telling anyone besides therapists and church leaders. So I told, um, I was going to therapy and I mentioned him, my friend telling him my, his parents and he said, you don't have to. And I was like, thank gosh, because I am never going to. And he's like, that's all right. It's okay. And that was very healing to hear that I didn't have to. And then years later, something random happened. I was I have I have very good close male friends. I've got maybe five or ten of, of them that I have realized over the past six, five years since I've been getting better at this vulnerability thing with therapy that it's okay to get close to a man. And I've found a very beautiful part of my life that I don't know if everyone experiences, but um, I think I got a huge freebie on this one. As I get close to a man as a friend, the in, the intensity of the physical attraction can become kind of unbearable sometimes, but if I push through it and and practice the healthy aspects of good relationships, they almost they get they get gross to me. Like they slowly become like a brother, kind of like a like a chemistry reaction. Like you you follow this like kind of hyperbolic curve of of energy required to create a a chemical bond, and then you hit the peak, and then as soon as the chemicals bond, you drop down into a lower energy level. And that's what it felt like. I'd, I'd climb and climb and I'd get, it's, it was more and more difficult. And then I'd come down onto the other side 
And I was like, I don't have that tension anymore. I view you as a brother. And it's fluid. Like if, you know, if I were to dwell on sexual thoughts about him, I'm sure I could bring it back. But, um, I've got a lot of those male friends that have been extremely healing for me. They didn't, they have not known that I was gay all along up until very recently, but it was still very healing that they loved me and cared about me. And they knew who I was with, with the exception of that one very deep and dark part of my life that dark because of how I viewed it, that was healing and therapy has helped with that vulnerability. Anyway, one time randomly, I was with a roommate about a year ago, wonderful guy, his name is Jordan. <coughs> he had made a couple of weeks before, I don't know why I told him, he had made a really insensitive comment about how he served his mission in uh, Ghana, and he talked about how gay people were treated there if it was found out very, very violently, according to him, and he, he kind of re- referenced that as like, I mean, he wasn't too outraged, so I'm not saying he was in agreement with it, is that a word, agree? I'm not saying he was, he agreed with it, but... I think agreement is a word. Okay. You think, I, you know what, Shakespeare made up so many words. Yeah. I'll so, be Shakespeare today. Yeah, agreeance. I deserve it. <laughs> You've earned it. I've earned it. And so, I just he just didn't seem as outraged. Like, he kind of shared it offhandedly, and I was like, I'm not telling him ever. But anyway, two weeks later or something, I was like, we were having a deep conversation. All of a sudden, for the first time in my entire life, I had this urge to tell him. I was so sick of carrying around this dirty little... It was like carrying around this rotten thing in a Ziploc bag. And my whole life's venture and routine was revol- revolved around hiding this, this thing from people and being ashamed of it and wondering if the smell was going to get out. And, and, and just, it was, such, it was such a complex dance. And finally, 27 years old or whatever I was, I just thought, F it. <laughs> I'm done. He's a nice guy. He's shared some vulnerable stuff with me. I'm just going to tell him I'm gay. And I did. And he didn't do that thing to me that they do to people in Ghana, apparently, when they find out they're gay. <laughs> he didn't abandon me. He still loved me and cared about me. Nothing, Literally nothing changed. I thought, what on earth? That All of my fears of being abandoned, he didn't. I thought, but that's because he's Jordan. He's super nice, super open-minded. He was one of the people that initially I was attracted to, and we became friends probably because I thought he was attractive and talked to him, which used to feel guilty about now it's just like oh, I'm sorry that's sometimes how I make friends <laughs> it's it's so true <laughs> that's almost always how I make friends with males um now I'm getting better about not being so shallow but in in undergrad that's how I make undergrad yeah a lot of High my school, friends undergrad. yeah it's just why you know you got a choice do you approach someone you're physically attracted to or someone you're not I'm always going to go for what I'm physically attracted to but not anymore I try not to do that because I feel it's like it's it's shallow in in the usual shallow sense you know of just being viewing too much looks but you know I don't think it's even that bad honestly anyway he was one of those and then as we got really close over many months I felt very much in a good brotherly way like oh he's good he's gross like that's that takes off a lot of the burden yeah (laughs) now he's gross but anyway I told him if things went well locked it down for another couple months and then it happened again and I was like what? Why am I? Why am I wanting to tell people this is a terrible idea? I'm going to lose all of my male friends. And then it, finally, I just thought it was another effort moment. Like you know what? If I'm going to lose male friends, I probably need this, and I can be alone for a bit, and I'll get the kind of friends that matter more. And I didn't have a bad opinion of my friends. I just didn't know what they would do. I genuinely was just completely. I had no predictions, no forecast 
to know how this would turn out. But I, I was, I prayed a lot about it and, um, it felt right. So I did it. I told more people and I, I one at a time kind of tracked down my, my closest friends, whether they were in state or out and met with them and, and told them the same spiel. It adapted as it went. Sometimes I'd use gay, same gender attraction. Sometimes I'd use, I'm not into girls and, oh, the questions were hilarious. They were absolutely, some of the questions are really funny. I, I guess I won't go into them, but some of them are quite funny. I'm sure other people have had this experience. Like where they look, like you say, I'm not attracted to girls. And then they look at you and they're like, so, and neither of you will say it. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, attra- yes, yes, I'm attracted to men. Yes, your gender. The gender that you are is the gender <laughs> I'm attracted to. <laughs> and I hated saying that part. But I did. And I am I am serious. Every single one of those friends, and I probably told at least 10 people, family aside, and Christine, my wife aside, every one of them has been overwhelmingly loving and supportive. I'm probably blessed with good friends. And I also got good at finding good friends because of my therapy, I think. And my self-awareness of, of what is a healthy and an unhealthy relationship due to being such a weird, probably borderline kind of personality type throughout middle school and high school because of how afraid I was of abandonment. I kind of got a, a, a grasp on that and started to figure out how to be more healthy. So I don't know if I made really beautiful, wonderful friends or if most people are really beautiful and wonderful. I don't know. I haven't told enough people. But every single straight redneck, conservative, you name it, man. And I'm usually friends with those. I guess that's my type. Mine's um, a clean-cut elders corps secretary. Really? Yeah. That's that's really funny. Um, so that aside, I told a lot of people that have the most, what I would view as the best reasons to be very close-minded to me, or at least the most culturally predictive situations that would be close-minded to me, and they just cared about me. One of them, the one I was most worried about, finally I got to the vulnerability point where the pain of the fact that I was still attracted to him, he didn't, we didn't have that cool come over the top of the, of the energy curve and, and have a low stakes, you know, low tension, no sexuality about it. I still liked him. So that didn't happen with him on and off at least. And I told him that a couple months ago. And I thought this, if anything's going to get me abandoned, this will be it. And he's like, you know, bro, it's kind of a little weird to hear, but, um, you know, I, I guess I really don't care that much. And he meant it. Like we, we were changing the locker room one time and he, after that conversation, he still got, and this is probably TMI, but he got naked in front of me. And, um, I'm very respectful about that. But later on, I was like, I I know this is going to weird you out, but it means a lot to me that I told you about my on and off attraction to you once in a while and that you still are willing to I'm not saying I require that of people at all but the fact that he did it it just I don't even think he thought about it which means even more to me than you know it wasn't like a gesture it was just I don't really care Garrett's a good he's one of my closest friends I'm not going to worry about this stuff and I told him that I was like that means a lot to me and I would I'll always treat that situation respectfully I just want you to know that I really appreciate that and just those types of friendships have have healed me beyond anything I could possibly imagine with getting close with people. And that has literally been in the last year that I've gotten that level of healing. Therapy and church leaders and self-awareness and prayer and the gospel have got me to one point. And then those males in my life and Christine 
got me to an entirely different level. And that is when I decided to tell my parents. There. See, I did come back to it. <laughs> Meaningful ramble. Um, so I told my parents um, several months ago, and that was really hard and awkward. My mom said, yeah, I always knew. And I said, Dad? And he's like, well, your mom always said you that she knew, so I took her word for it. And I was like, what? Have you talked known? about it? What? The oh, they, oh, they, they sure yeah. talked about it, yeah. My parents do not hide anything from each other. You tell one thing, you tell them one thing, it's going to go straight to the other, no matter what the topic or situation. It's kind of funny. If sometimes I hate it, and other times I'm like, you know what? I like that transparency. But anyway, my sis, my little sister, I don't, my, all my siblings don't know, but she knows because she was in the car. Remember, we were sitting in my parents' tundra. Um, and my sister was next to me on the right, and I had been ignoring her a little bit. Because I was focusing on the awkwardness with my parents and how, how I just found out they had known all along and all of the things that have happened that I'm like wondering what they thought about. Like, do they think I have all these like relationships that I didn't have and like any close friend that I brought home, did they think we were like making out in the basement or something? And <laughs> it turns out they did kind of think that about some things. And I said them, I said them straight, pardon the pun, um, that like, you know, no, I was not this guy. Was, these were all straight people. I, I only had one relationship with a, I only had one kind of homosexual relationship and that was um, after high school and in a very dark time of my life but um, I, I told them no I know these were these were just normal male friends but they wouldn't have cared if I had been making out in the basement they just at the time I'm sure they would have cared if they caught me but now they've come a long way and um, not that you're not that every parent should be okay with people making out in their basement but at least they're they would not have you know grabbed a you know, a pitchfork and a torch <laughs> and they still wouldn't. They're very open and loving to me. And they said, we don't, even if you, even if you leave the church and marry a man, we're going to invite him to Thanksgiving. He's going to be a part of our lives. And we're happy that you found Christine and that you guys are engaged and getting ready to be married. I guess we weren't engaged then, but we were talking about marriage and they were just happy for me. And it was really cool. And it's not, I thought they would always not want to I thought they'd be awkward ever since if I ever told them and that I'd have to avoid certain things. It's just been the same. I mean, my mom's a little weird about it. She says, how's that thing going? I'm like, mom, <laughs> you know, I've spent a, like two decades trying to not see it as that thing, like some disease that we have to be careful about. She's like, I'm not saying it's like a disease. I just don't know how to say it because I didn't want to make you uncomfortable. My sister, she's got it nailed. My little sister, bless her heart, she's 16. And the first in that car... I finally, after realizing that she was still there, I looked at her and I was like, did you guess? And she looked, she was looking straight ahead, wide-eyed, mouth open. And she's like, nope. <laughs> she just was so shocked. And she was laughing too, but <laughs> because I was laughing because of her nope. But uh, well, I really appreciate the way she's treated me because I guess it's a little uncomfortable to talk about this with your little sister, but one of her first questions were like, so what's your type? Like, well, what movie actors? Like, she wanted to, to bond over it and... I'm not used to that still not used to that. And it's, but it's been healing to get used to the fact that like we, I can talk about it like a normal, like, like the way I can say I'm left-handed and it's kind of a unique identifying factor that has its benefits and its disadvantages, but it's just there. It just is. And it's not good. It's not bad. It's, and sometimes it's good when I find one of those left-handed desks, life's good, you know? <laughs> 
And it's the uh, simple things. Yeah, no one seems to notice that those exist. They just think, oh, this desk's weird. I don't know how people would think about that. But anyway, I like now who I am. And I like the part that my homosexuality has played in my life. It's led to some beautiful friendships with males that really love and care about me. And anyway, my little sister has been really good about... She's kind of how I want to be treated. Um, I want it to be treated like a normal, everyday part of life. Not some disease we hide. But anyway, my parents do great too. My mom's just a bit of a goof. That's all. Just with certain aspects of how she talks about it. But they've been great. And that's how I decided to tell my parents. And I'm not saying everyone should come out. And I'm so glad my therapist did not make me feel that way. Because some people maybe shouldn't. And everyone needs to do it in what feels right with their timeline and everything. And he even said some people have a really bad experience coming out. And that needs to be taken into account. So this is all for me personally. I am one person in a host of millions of people that deal... I don't know. I'm sure it's millions, right? 5% of the population. And we've got 8 10%. million. 10% are gay? Yeah. We're everywhere. That's like the... It's true. <laughs> well, like, that's just people who admit it. Like, that's the rough estimate. That was the rough estimate Gosh. like 10 years ago. You know what? There's got to be place. There's got to be... I feel like it's more than that, though. Because, like, so many guys when they're good well, <coughs> to having, like, at least one homosexual experience in their life. And that's... They're just... They're admitting it as an experience, but not that maybe those feelings true. have carried on. Yeah. But then there are lots of people who guys are even... Like, women are more likely to admit to sexual fluidity. Um, oh, gosh. Being yeah, my bi. female friends in high school. Um, dudes, not so much. Like, dudes are a little embarrassed by it. So, like, even the guy's bi, you know, he'll go his entire life, like, maybe one experience with another guy, but then the rest with women because he doesn't want to yeah. touch that. Uh-huh. And he'll probably take it to his grave a lot of times. Yeah. But, gosh, if there's 10% of people with our situation... I feel like I have a beautiful role in my church, my family, with my children and my wife, and my my professional. I feel like I have a really cool role, and I feel like if there's 10% out there, there's a lot of really cool roles to be had. But um, that aside, there's been a lot that has gone into who I am and where I am right now, but there are millions of people, and every single situation is different. And I don't claim to think that this is a a good prescription for every gay man, even a gay person who wants to stay in the church and get married and have kids and all the things that I want. Um, there's, it's going to be such a different path. So I'm really happy that what I went through, the, 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 uh, the terror I can call it of growing up with same gender attraction has led me to where I am now. And I know that's a cliche statement about trials, but there's truth in cliche statements or they wouldn't be so cliche, I guess. And just to treat the topic of, um, you know, I actually forgot what topic was just to be treated. So we're not going to treat it unless it comes up later. <laughs> topic untreated. Um, so there's this thing I like to call Bishop Roulette. Oh, where... <laughs> like you can get a really good one or a really bad one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you ever have a really bad one? Like I... when you talk to them about, about <clears throat> being attracted to guys? Let me think. No, I had awkward ones. And some that hurt my feelings. But not the stories I've heard. I I was so protected from that situation that I've heard so much about of what happens when a church leader alienates a young gay youth in the church or 
I mean, I had some awkward situations and some situations where I felt kind of like they thought I was weird and didn't really want to talk about it. But I've never had the kind where they're like, some of those things you hear about where they're like, you need to, it's because you're not praying enough or what you have is a perversion, it's twisted, it needs to be, we need to get this worked out. I've never had that, but I have had some less than ideal experiences. But most of the time, I'd say three out of five, have been wonderful men that are just like, man, you're, Garrett, you're awesome. Like, I just think you're so cool. And especially my wife, she's like, it makes me love you more because of what you've, what you've been through and what you know now. And it just, I know this is a tangent, but another aspect of our marriage that I love is that, and this is going to get a little gritty, but I feel strongly that at least for myself, and I'm, I'm guessing for most people that sexual attraction, let's just call it horniness for the sake of ease, Horniness and love, they mix so thoroughly together. They're so intertwined and interwoven and they kind of hide behind each other. They're so hard to distinguish from each other. When you're infatuated with someone because of sexual feelings and when you're in love with them, I I almost have trouble ever distinguishing. Like I would fall in love in quotes with roommates, didn't know whether it was true or not, but it turned out it wasn't because then something would happen and I'd be utterly disgusted by them, you know, like something would happen, I just, all the sexual attraction would go away, and then I was like, wait, there went all the friendship, too, like, I'm no longer, and it made me realize, like, I was only ever physically appealed to the, uh, physically attracted to this person, and that wasn't love, and then, I don't know, it was just, it was complicated, and I feel like I see a lot of return missionaries come home, and, um, I can, sometimes I feel like I can kind of tell that they're marrying because they're super horny. Well, I think that's very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I'm not saying it's a terrible thing. I think maybe sometimes that's, if we're operating under the assumption that marriage is a beautiful institution that changes two people to be so much better because of having to learn to deal with each other's weaknesses and also having to develop true love for each other. Under that assumption, I believe that horniness, if it's an effective way that gets biologically pairs males with females or males with males or females with females, if that's what it takes to get people to commit, it can, it's not all that bad. But it it leads to a very, very messy situation where after honeymoon phase goes away. Yeah. And you know what? I feel like I avoided that. I know I did not get married for those reasons because I fought so hard to get to the point where I feel sexually attracted to my wife. And... <clears throat> that's an insensitive way of putting it. She's a beautiful woman. Just because I say she wasn't my type, it was mainly personality aspects. She's objectively a very pretty, beautiful woman. But I'm gay, so it took a while. And that, we avoided that whole mess of a honeymoon phase. And then, I mean, literally, three children have been involved from almost the get-go, a couple months in after we felt it was appropriate and ran it by the ex-husband. And, um... We actually ran it by him three days after we did it, which led to a, a very heated argument, but um, we should have told him earlier, but we were kind of afraid to tell him, honestly, because he had not handled certain things well previously. But we waited the amount of time that um, divorce counselors have said to wait to introduce. Anyway, that's just a disclaimer there. <laughs> where was I? Where was I? What was I talking about? Um, I guess I was talking about... You're talking about Bishop Roulette. Oh, and... Your, uh, your wife and being... I went into how we avoided the honeymoon phase. Yes. And that felt like a huge blessing to me that... 
from from what all that she and I have had to go through collectively to get to who we are now, we at least avoided the intense burning flame of sexual attraction followed by the cold disappointment of reality that <laughs> life is not steamy bed sheets and that was kind of a gross analogy, I'm sorry. I don't think it was gross. <laughs> that was funny. Okay. It that that kind of goes away. And here's an analogy. I bought a new car when I was twenty six or five or four or something. A brand new little sporty car. And it was a terrible financial decision. It wasn't that bad. It was cheap, but um I was in general terrible financial investments. Yeah, bad investments. I was obsessed with it. I was absolutely enthralled by it. I couldn't study. I was in college. I couldn't study. I couldn't function. I went out and drove it like every couple of hours. I just needed to get back to it. I left class early. <laughs> I know this is neurotic, but I was obsessed with cars. And I feel like this kind of relates to sexual attraction sometimes. And it was so intense. And it, it kind of put my life on hold for two or three weeks. And then after that, I was so disappointed because I was like, wait, I remember those good old days three weeks ago where it was all I could think about. And now it's kind of becoming just a car to me. But then the car became kind of this stable, good part of my life. It was reliable. It was fun. I could I could sleep in it, which was cool. It fit my whole body lengthwise. That is nice. Um, I honestly always wanted a car. I could do that. I know. I feel With, like it's a, yeah. it's a big part of the market that the car dealerships or that the automobile industry has not targeted yet. But anyway... I love that car. It wasn't the intense burning passion I had for it where I had to leave class early for it and couldn't function on a professional or academic level. Um, but I started just kind of like it was a good part of my life. And that's how I feel about my wife and my family right now. I don't look at it as a disappointing... You know, sometimes it would have been nice to feel what would it have been like to have that burning sexual passion mm-hmm. at the beginning. And I don't know if I'll ever know what that's like because I've made a choice to never um, act sexually with men, although I will... I I am very vehement and open to, and my wife is the same about my need and the healthy aspects of opening up very much emotionally to men and even physically like hugs and, you know, a good game here and there, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Because I've made that decision, I don't know what it'll be like maybe to ever have that intense sexual passion, but I've watched so many of my straight friends burn through sexual partner after sexual partner outside of the church mainly. A lot of my friends are not church members. A lot of my work um, exposes me to a lot of non-church member people and my whole upbringing was non-church members. So those I've watched them, a lot of them burn through sexual relationship after sexual relationship, gay or straight, and they're not happy. And I kind of started to realize, you know what? That feeling I had for my car, it's not sustainable for me personally. It's not what I, I don't think I'd function well if that were around all the time. And I'm I think that's what married couples have to kind of figure out sometimes. And I think I got to that point pretty quick with Christine, especially with we've had no experience of just each other without three children climbing on our bodies throughout the whole day and saying, Dad, 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 Mom, 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 Mom. Like we we don't have any of the passion beginning year of the marriage before kids come up or two years or five years or 20 years before kids show up or whatever. But I feel that sustainable, happy, like, this is something I want to do for decades. And I feel like that's almost an advantage with my situation. I knew I made a decision because of being gay. I trusted my decision was not horniness. And what I'm feeling right now is not an unsustainable and fleeting, transient, passionate moment that's going to later leave us in the cold cinders of of reality. And I'm not saying that's how every honeymoon phase is. Mainly like like you like like you said it's 
the glowing embers of reality, but you don't yeah. see it that way. I don't think when you come down from that high, you it takes a while to stoke back that those coals and re- realize that this is what life is about for me, not the passion. And I guess what I've learned is what I thought before I got married to a woman and made the decision to stick with my deepest held beliefs and my church and my, my relationship with God, all of those things together. Before I made the decision to stick with that, it was a very scary thought to never know what it would feel like. I thought when I, when I, when I pictured and visualized my life as a Mormon going forward, I thought, how could this ever be happy? I will never know what it's like to see what they have in movie, to see what the, the romance that you see in movies and what I think all my straight friends and parents have. And I'll never know that it will always be this kind of half ass. sorry for the language version of it. And it's fine. Episode two has lots of swearing. Okay. And I mean, marriage is already difficult. You add, you get multiple, you get different personalities and habits and upbringings and backgrounds and, and toothpaste splashing on the mirror that you don't clean off when you should. And, and, and horrible emotional disconnects if you don't communicate well. Then you add kids to it, and I thought, I don't stand a chance with not even being sexually attracted to my wife, and that's what's that going to do to her emotional, emotional health and sexual desires? And that's not fair to her, and it's just this bleak future. And I always thought, I need to stick with my church because it means everything to me, and I trust God to pull me out of bad situations, but how could he possibly make this work for me? And I thought... I'm pretty sure I know what's going to make me happy and I don't see it lining up with my future. But I kept going through dark times and good times and now I kind of see that what I thought then would would make me happy for me personally isn't what actually does or would have made me happy. And what I have now feels like what does and will make me happy. And it took so many years, so much therapy and so many experiences to learn that. In fact, at Europe, I traveled to Europe and all over the world. And I usually travel alone because I can't stand travel companions because they usually don't line up with what I want to do. I like the people. I like the raw, like nitty gritty back alley interactions. And I don't care about tourist sites usually. And so I've traveled the world in that way and lived with locals. And I rent a car and drive all over the place talking to people. And usually it's to learn a language, but Okay, that makes it sound like I know a lot of languages. I only speak Spanish thanks to my mission and French because I studied it and traveled. So it's usually to learn one of those two languages. But um, I've been all over the world, and at one point I was in Paris in this concrete park thing, and I thought I've been to Middle East and Asia and Africa and second time in Paris, and I was like, wherever I go, I'm sure there's a song named this. I think there is. Wherever I go... There I am. I am still me. I am still there. It doesn't matter what place you put me in. I still have my internal environment, and that's that's who I am and where I am. And the reason I thought that is because I'm still not happy right here. I mean, I was happy to travel, and traveling the world has done so much for me, but what it really did for me was made me realize no matter where you go and what you're seeing, the same things that used to make me happy when I'm not in Paris turned out to be the things, the only things that would make me happy in Paris. You, I couldn't run from that. And what made me happy was sharing my core beliefs with those I love and those I meet and my, my church, my, my relationship with, with God. However that is interpreted, um, that is what made me happy. And the things that, that that brings to my life, and that's what I learned from traveling to Europe, I guess. 
I had so many good conversations, so many wonderful Europeans that were so heavily atheist, but that just are beautiful, open-minded. And we just talked about religion and in my broken French back then, it wasn't as good. And it was just such so many cool experiences that made me realize this is who I am and how I'm happy. And so I've, I've carried that through and realized that the sexual fulfillment, travel, all of those things are good garnishes to a beautiful, dumb analogy with cake, but um, they're not the core of what makes me happy. And what makes me happy is what I have right now. And it's just interesting to see how many years it took me to reassess and adjust what I thought was going to make me happy versus what is currently making me happy. And I hope this is a universal truth. While religion and all the other topics we've touched can be very individual and, and I, I don't want to step into that bounds, but into that bound, that, that uh, realm. But sexual fulfillment, I believe, universally, is a very tricky thing to base a lot of fulfillment on. And it's, it can be very transient. And when it's paired with true romantic and intrinsic friendship love, it's a wonderful part of life. But it's not the core of it. And it's honestly, I don't think, has to be how that type of love starts. I have no idea how I got to, from being kind of neutral with women to thinking that Chris is the most beautiful person on the planet and to having a very fulfilling sexual life with her. There's some more TMI, she's gonna kill me. And I don't think it's possible for everyone. I wish it were, and I'd like to think it was, were. I don't know the grammar on that one, but I'm not saying it is. I just know for me, personally, happiness was such a different animal than I thought. And being gay has taught me so much more about happiness than anything else. I love who I am, I'm still coming to terms with it, but I now I love it, and I've seen my male friends love me, and they love it, and my wife loves me, and they love it, and I don't know when I'll tell my my uh, my children. Um, not sure how what psychological things you're supposed how you're supposed to handle that whole situation, but and I know they'll love me for it, and maybe not when they're eighteen because everyone's a turd when they're eighteen, but we'll see how that goes. Well, I'd say from like ten to eighteen, twelve to nineteen. Yeah, you know what? Ten to eighteen. Let me pull the I have kids trump card and say from zero to 18, they're turds. No offense to my wonderful children, but seriously, kids can be huge turds. But I feel like I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're hilarious. Like, I really, I love those kids, but sometimes my wife and I are like, what have we done? But it's been really cool, actually. I really, I like coming home to these kids and my wife. I will, let me just say, there are ups and flows, ups and downs in sex life, in it's only been two months and we've had our share of ebbs and flows. That should give you a good prognosis for how tricky this stuff can be. But I don't think I'm as a, at as big a disadvantage as I thought, and I might even be at an advantage as a gay man who wants what I want out of a, a relationship. It might have served as an advantage. In fact, I strongly believe that it has been one of the biggest advantages that I've taken into my marriage. And this could all be very naive because it's only been two months. I don't know what lies ahead. And I'm the pessimist, so I can always paint a pretty nasty picture of it. But honestly, at the end of the day, I've just made a choice that I'm going to stick with God and what I believe is his path for me. I don't know what other people's paths look like. I know that he's a smart guy and he knows how to help people be as happy as they possibly can. And that path doesn't always look like mine and it doesn't always stay in the LDS church. Um, but I know he's good at getting people to be happy and he really cares about us. And I wish, am I allowed to have like a message to the world? 
Go for it. I don't know a lot about this whole gay thing. It is very complicated. I might have said a lot of really dumb things today. I might have said some offensive or closed-minded or just naive garbage. But if I'm allowed to just have a personal view on this, if I could make one comment to the gay community, it would be, I wish that people could share my view on how God sees a gay person. And I know there's a lot of other, there's the LGBTQ, but I'm going to treat the gay because the gay situation because that is what I know. If I wish people, the world at large, um, that that accepts and adopts a belief in God could know that my my personal strong held belief is that whatever you're doing, whoever you're having sex with, he thinks you're so cool and so wonderful, and he's just so much more open-minded than a lot of the people we interact with. And he, he's got things figured out. He is so much better at giving us a break than we are giving ourselves a break and the other people around us give us a break. And the small shred of experience I've had with my wife and my male friends, how much they love me despite certain cultural differences, he is so much better at it than even they are. And I just wish every gay man could know that the God I believe in, let's call him the Mormon God, according to Garrett, (laughs) that God thinks that all of those people out there, no matter whether they're at Temple Square holding a sign talking about how bad our church is or unfair it is for how we treat gay people, God thinks that that guy is just, just so cool. He just really likes us. And he knows that that guy has got his own bag of garbage that he's carried with him, that he's dealing with, that he doesn't know how to handle. And I doubt, I bet God is so much less offended by that sign than all of us who walk past it. And honestly, I'm not offended by that sign, but all of, a lot of the LDS faith that walks past that sign. And he just, and I just have a very strong belief that he, he thinks we're wonderful and behavior is behavior. I know, I believe in sin and that there's, that are things that are sins, but I mean, come on, if you grew up LDS or Christian, an LDS Christian or a non-LDS Christian, this whole plan is built on a framework of counting on the fact that we are going to screw up all the time. That is the whole point. That is, it is, it turns around that fact. I'm not saying it's a, you know, that sin is good. I'm just saying, why would he have gone through the lengths of making this savior a part of the plan? And the Savior's purpose is to help us when we screw up. If the whole plan wasn't hinged on the fact that we screw up, that was complex and that was a convoluted logic. I'm sorry, but um, it came from a convoluted brain, so you don't have to deal with it. So I guess my message to the gay community, Christian or non-Christian, is that the God that that I a lot of us believe in is not some angry, self-righteous, pompous guy that's telling you you shouldn't be happy. He he might have a different view of happy. He might be very more much more long term than than we might think sometimes he seems mean but honestly he he thinks the world of us and that's what's gotten me through this it's not easy i don't understand it i don't know what the future of our church with homosexuals is i don't know if it's ever going maybe it's maybe someday they're sealed in the temple together and maybe not i don't know but i do know that he thinks all of us are great you know what i think he's got a special place in his deity heart for gay people because 
Well, why wouldn't he? He created us. Of course, but I'm, I'm talking about maybe he likes us a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree with that. <laughs> because he, you know, he always he always pulls me right out of that dark spot. And anyway, that is <laughs> that's my my um, potentially controversial, but very heartfelt. Please take it for what it means to me. Message to gay and straight people. And you know what? Let me. Can I add one more thing? Yeah. A new message. Yes. I thought gay was the hardest thing you could possibly deal with. Naively thought that this was the worst trial. Mm -hmm. And I know there's two types of trials with gay. I know there's the cultural kind where a lot of the world still kind of hates gay people or at least doesn't accommodate them as well. That's hard. And then also being Mormon is hard because it's a whole different religious and moral twist to the whole thing that is deeply felt by, by people who are brought up in a church, in this church, and gay. I know it's tricky. That They're both very, very hard, I think. I thought I had kind of had like the trump card on a lot of trials. I'm sure you could have named one. I've been like, no, that's worse. Okay, but I thought it was one of the worst. And I talked to my straight friends. They are dealing with so much horrible, like horrifying things. And they're getting through. And sometimes they are and sometimes they're not getting through. But the point is, we all go through so much horrifying stuff. At, at certain points of our lives. And I, I, I learned quickly when I confided my, my homosexuality to my, my close male friends, they would confide things that they were dealing with. And I was like, oh gosh, I'll take mine. And I never thought I'd say that. I've been spending my whole life trying to see if there's a way to get rid of it and hating it. And, but anyway, we all go through such intense stuff. And you know, God just thinks we're so great and he's, he's willing to help us, but he can't, he can't just pull you right out of it or else you'll you will go back to him without any progress. And I know that's that's a, a whole different religious topic, but he's really about making us our highest potential and you, you can't you can't take your kids out of hard situations if you want them to turn out to be worth their salt, you know? And I think he just he just he thinks we're great and he will pull us out of stuff. It just sometimes it takes a while and you think, Man, you're really holding on you're really letting me letting me hit rock bottom here aren't you you know i've gone up to a mountain in haiti mm -hmm. in the wilderness of haiti with with no i mean i was it was like a humanitarian thing i did a while back but i was i've gone up to a mountain in haiti and yelled screamed at the top of my lungs at god about how mad i was at him so i know what it's like to think he's a that is going to be sacrilegious but to not think very highly of him but that is the temporary, a temporary mindset for me. And, you know, back then, and, and I, I've learned since that for the long game, if you keep the long game in mind, he really is willing to work with us and he thinks the world of us. There, I'm done with the message. There's my message to the world, <laughs> gay and straight and all the other in between. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. A big thanks to Garrett for speaking with me, uh, to Britton for the dope images he continues to make for the podcast, and to Pink Pocket Squares for the use of the song Tainted Rhythm. And did you know? In the show notes section of the podcast, I list terms that people who did not grow up Mormon might not know, and it also includes links. Follow that tainted rhythm. Follow that tainted rhythm.